What's up, guys? I'm EJ Stewart, and thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I have a great show lined up for you guys today. We'll be talking about the recent drama with the New York Knicks after their dramatic win over the Boston Celtics, and along with some drama involving with the Boston Celtics in that game. Both teams uh, came out with very different results, but somewhat similar kind of outcomes, similar fallouts in terms of kind of a muddied relationship with some key members of their organizations and the fans. So we'll talk about that in just a bit. We also got to get to this uh, Antonio Brown drama. Antonio Brown was cut from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. His time in Tampa Bay is over and it ended in only AB fashion. You know, when you sign on to sign AB and bring him to your organization, you know you're going to get the full AB experience. And that's what Tampa Bay has not only not only endured last Sunday, but are, are continuing to endure, even though he's not on the team. So we'll get you the latest on that. And we got to preview the national championship game this weekend, uh, this week uh, coming up on Monday, Georgia versus Alabama, a rematch of the SEC championship game. Very rare you see that happen. And Georgia trying to get over this Alabama hump. We'll have to ask uh, my guy Kendall what's going to take for them to do that. Kendall, of course, is my co-host. And Kendall, before we get to those stories, I had to give you something that I just thought was kind of funny. You know, so with, with the, the the Jacksonville Jaguars, of course, they unceremoniously <laughs> fired Urban Meyer. It was one of the just one of the most disastrous uh, coaching experiences we've seen in the NFL in a long time, or coaching stints we've seen in a long time. And they're now looking at various different head coaching candidates. And one of the things that's come up has been Byron Leftwich, who he's been talked about a bunch, really even before Meyer was fired. Of course, Byron Leftwich was the former first round pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He had some 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 success as their their, their, their starting quarterback took them to the playoffs one year. Of course, he's done an excellent job as the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with uh, Tom Brady. He also had one year with James Winston. They were still a top three offense. So him being part of the equation, not as surprising, though I don't know if I would wish the Jacksonville Jaguar organization on any young black coach, but you know here we are. But then the second name that I heard today, Kendall, is the one that I kind of just had to shake my head and laugh. Because apparently the Jacksonville Jaguars are interested next week in interviewing Alabama offensive coordinator and former Houston Texans head coach Bill O'Brien for their head coaching head coaching job. The same Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien that apparently told uh, DeAndre Hopkins to keep your baby mamas out of the uh, out, of, out of the office. The same Bill O'Brien that sold traded away DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of chips once he became the general manager. The same Bill O'Brien that essentially ran the Texans program into the ground and is why they're one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. And, and, and Cully, who, who's Cully, who's tried the best he can, is trying to clean up that mess. That Bill O'Brien gets one year coaching those stud athletes at Alabama. And now, apparently, he's a serious head coaching candidate for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Kendall, explain it to me because I don't get it. Uh, I mean, what I will say is... Um... Shout out to the Nick Saban uh, Coaching Rehabilitation Center. Oh, facts, man. Um, Because, I mean, I don't know if we've seen a guy that's gone in there and not come out with a million-dollar contract from somebody. Um, You know, I mean, obviously the Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian line, uh, Mario Cristobal. Yep. um, I mean, we're seeing it now. Uh, The coach Uh, of uh, Maryland. Yeah, Mike Loxley. Mike Loxley. You know, Charlie Strong went there, you know, as an analyst for a year, ended up 
uh, assistant head coach of the Jaguars this year. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a nice, it's definitely a nice place to, to Tuscaloosa, uh, you know, not known for a lot of things, but uh, it, it's coaching, uh, coaching rehab center is pretty good. <laughs> coaching <laughs> career rehab center is pretty good. But um, in terms of the Jaguars uh, and Bill O'Brien and the Jaguars coaching search in general, I mean, obviously, you mentioned the Byron Leftwich name. That makes a lot of sense, given the familiarity with the franchise and the organization. And then also, obviously, um, what he's done with, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense and Tom Brady. And obviously, the the the, 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 the development and much-needed sort of rehabilitation of Trevor Lawrence as a, as, a, as a quarterback. Because obviously, his confidence seems to be shot quite a bit uh, at the end of his rookie season. Um, so this is a big hire. Uh, Bill O'Brien, you know, I mean, you know, probably wouldn't be first on my list of candidates personally, but, um, you know, I guess you could argue he's done a good job with Bryce Young. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I think I, I don't know what to make of it because all of Nick Saban's assistants tend to do a good job with the talent that is there at Alabama. So, you know, the word is that this is Trent Baalke, um, the general manager who uh survived obviously the Urban Meyer fiasco seems to have been uh you know ingratiated himself well well with the Khan family. You know, it seems to be his preferred choice, uh Bill O'Brien. Um you know, again, I mean certain franchises you can't really you can't you can't help you can't really help them. You know, if, if this is what they <laughs> right, want to do, yeah. I don't own the team. <laughs> right, this is what yeah, Shaq Khan wants to do. Yeah. Um, you know are there other because there are other there are other candidates you know regardless i don't know i don't know if any of you guys would be good coaches we don't really know but what i do know is that when bill o'brien was in houston he didn't really work out i mean yes he took his team into the playoffs but it was in a terrible terrible division obviously he had a super talent and he had yeah he had a lot of talent too (laughs) and a super talent in deandre hopkins and a super talent in jj watt uh, so I mean, again, I don't, I don't really know what he, you know. He's not going to have that in Jacksonville, at least right now. I mean, yes, they're going to have another. Mix. So I mean, in theory, Avon Thibodeau and then Trevor Lawrence. Like now, you're starting from starting a little better than than you were two years ago. Still, this is a um, this is a, this is going to be a real rebuild. But I, I don't know. I mean, he, again, he wouldn't be first on my list of guys. You mentioned Leftwich, obviously Tyler Bowles, another guy they're looking at. You know, Kellen Moore uh, in Dallas. Uh, Dan Quinn is another that I've heard they're looking at. So there are other it's former coaches, former head coaches. Uh, Jim Caldwell and Doug Peterson, the other guys that they're looking at. Mm-hmm. Peterson, you know, fits with, like, going away from the the Urban Meyer thing. Like, you right. know, like, as Joe Judge said, uh, you know, we're talking about a clown show organization. That wouldn't be the case with – with Doug Peterson, uh, it wouldn't be the case with Jim Caldwell. Those guys are, are, are pros, pros. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I those would be guys that I would probably look at more so for Jacksonville because I think they need they need real, real pro leadership. Um, Bill O'Brien again. I mean, I don't know why. And I get you again. You're probably go here, but I don't know why you would want to go from the chaos of Urban Meyer and then look at a candidate who left. Mired in chaos, right? I don't think that that would be less about mired in chaos. I don't think that that would make sense. 
for my franchise or other franchises that, or, and I think college teams could absolutely look at Bill O'Brien. I know Bill O'Brien was a candidate at Virginia Tech at one point. I mean, he did a good job at Penn State. He got coached in the NFL for a long time. I'm sure he'd probably do a decent job uh, as a college coach again. But even him, the Jacksonville Jaguars, again, you can't left with I don't know. I wouldn't really wish this on Bill O'Brien either. You know, I mean, this, <laughs> right, I don't know yes, if it's going to go well for him. Right. Yeah. There are probably other spots for him. Maybe they're not NFL jobs, but there are other spots that would probably be better for his long term career and, you know, you know, wants to win. Than, than going. Yeah. yeah, I think to me, um, I just, I, what I don't understand, and look, I, I, to, to, to put it clear, look, to Bill O'Brien, he did take the Jacksonville Jaguars to the playoffs four times. He did. Um, before he was fired at the start of 0-4 in 2020. He did have back-to-back double-digit win seasons. But like you said, you talk about an organization that their whole issue has been culture and this perception of consistent chaos. And it's yeah, not... Dysfunction. Con- yeah, dysfunction is the right word. And it's not conducive to have this, what we considered before he got drafted, this blue-chip prospect in... A Trevor Lawrence, who you're trying to develop, trying to get him to become that franchise quarterback guy. You hope he could be a gold jacket kind of guy. And it's not conducive to have him in that kind of environment. I don't quite Particularly understand. Particularly when he came yeah, from, he came from a, a school in London that's probably known most for its culture. For right, yeah. A, a, a place that is the, the, the least bit of chaos. Oh, right. in college football, no turnover with their assistants for like five, six, seven years. Like he right. had the same coaches his entire time there. Now you're going to a place where, I mean, we're where he where he's just living in dysfunction now. Strange. Right. And to me, it, what I don't like is despite some of the success Bill O'Brien has had, because he has had some, within that success has been this sense of chaos. Players frustrated. Players not wanting to be there. The sense of uh, we've seen some poor coaching decisions in playoff games, a lack of kind of uh, a poise on the sidelines of these games. He has, you know, that, you know, of course, that big lead they blew to the Chiefs. Um, they, had a, they had a couple of terrible home 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 game losses uh, in the playoffs. And again, this was with elite level talent. You know, to me, when you have a guy with his record, you almost got to throw it out of the window because you, they, they should come up with 10, 10 to 12 wins every year when you have the talent that the Texans had. For his entire time there, but again, four of those years he didn't even make the playoffs, and three of the three of them, the first three, he finished nine and seven. So I don't quite understand how Bill O'Brien kind of gets into the picture here after just one year coaching Alabama, where you, again you had the best athlete, the best, uh, the best defensive coach, <laughs> the best head coach, and that all of a sudden makes you a strong candidate for a head NFL head coaching job. And a job where you particularly need a certain sense of structure. If there's a different kind of job O'Brien can get, I mean, I wouldn't hire him. But is there a different job where maybe there's a lot more of a, of a of institutional control that's happening or institutional stability, I should say, that's happening throughout the organization from top to bottom? Could he make more sense? Maybe. But, the, I mean, the Jaguars, that's like the worst <laughs> spot when it comes to that kind of stability. So that I just when I saw his name popping up, I couldn't I couldn't understand it. And we'll have to see how he shakes out in the coaching castle this year. I feel it's a little unpredictable. I feel like a lot of people a lot of guys that probably should be out of jobs may be back. Um you know the Raiders situation is interesting considering they may make the playoffs. 
So uh, I'll be curious to see how the NFL uh, coaching situation shakes out. But we'll talk a little bit more about the NFL when we talk about AB a little bit later. But I want to talk about the Knicks, Kendall, and the Celtics because it was another instant classic at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks and Celtics followed up their season-opening thriller with more theatrics in the MSG rematch on Thursday. New York came from a 25-point deficit to beat the Celtics on a buzzer beater from R.J. Barrett that blew the roof off of the Garden. The struggling Evan Fournier also had a crowd frenzy, had the crowd in a frenzy, dropping 41 points. Uh, as exciting as the game was, controversy followed for both teams. So with the Celtics, head coach Ime Udoka said that his team lacked leadership, poise, and mental toughness in that collapse in that uh, in the loss. Knicks star Julius Randle had to apologize this uh, Friday. We're recording this podcast the day after this game for making a fourth quarter thumbs down gesture that was reminiscent of the move we saw made by former Met Javi Baez, current Met Francisco Lindor, as a sign to Knicks fans that he said was to, quote, shut the F up for their booing in the first half. So before I get your take on the Celtics, because you've been a Celtics fan this podcast, I know you have plenty to say on them. I want to say something about Randall real quick. Because it appears to me, you know, Nick fans, I think I think Nick fans as a whole are ready to move on now that he's apologized. And I think it was right that he did that. And I do want to say, I understand, you know, Randall recently was sent into the, the health and safety protocols. He clearly tested positive for COVID. And there were some fans that were saying they were pleased that he, he had gotten COVID and things like that. That's just Bush League. We have no place for that. There's just no excuse for that kind of nonsense. And, and those fans are not good for the... Knicks, they're not good for the sport. I want to make that very clear. I'm sure Randall's had some pent-up frustration from some of these fans that I've talked about that. Some of the people may be attacking his family on social media. We don't we don't have anything to say positive about that at all. That's garbage. Um, but that being said, as I said, Randall posted a statement uh, to his Instagram account saying, in part, quote, I should have handled things last night differently and expressed myself with more professionalism and appropriate language in the heat of the moment. So... Here's what I wanted to say, Kendall. Look, I want to take you back to last season. The Knicks are having a a, a, a dream season. They're the toast of the town. They're the, the darlings of the NBA, a team that was expected to finish last or second to last in the Eastern Conference, is now deep in the playoff picture. It's midseason, and Julius Randle, after being selected to his all-star, into an all-star game, after getting serenaded with MVP chance at Madison Garden, had this to say in the Players' Tribune, talking about, his first season in New York, which was a subpar season that um, that ended with, you know, basically two coaching changes. You had David Fisdale fired midseason, Mike Miller not retained into the next season. And Randall struggled for most of that first year in New York. Here's what he said in the Players' Tribune. I know you only get one chance to make a first impression in a city. And I was so disappointed in myself for how that first season in New York had gone. It felt like a blown opportunity. It felt like I had cemented my, res- my reputation in the opposite way that I wanted to selfish not a leader not a winning player i heard all of it i couldn't say a thing about it and i knew that if i wanted to shake off the reputation i had built up i really only had one option to come out this season and establish a new one he later on talking about the success the team has had they had last season and him talking about how exciting it was for new york city he said he told his teammates this quote we can put some wins together get this thing going for the playoffs get new york popping Maybe even there's a maybe even there's crowds by then. Of course, it's the pandemic, so you know they were playing in front of very small crowds or no crowds early in the season. And we get the garden popping. Y'all don't even know. 
there's not another fan base in the league that can match what the Knicks fans will give us if we're ta- if we're taking care of business. He finishes up uh, by saying, and that's what's been special about this year. I've gotten to flip the script on my own reputation as a player, while I've also gotten to help with this larger thing we have going, where we're flipping the script on the reputation of our entire franchise. I, I, I put that out there, Kendall, because I think what frustrated me the most about this Julius thing, and again, I see Nick fans are going back and forth. I've seen a lot of people saying, look, you know, Nick fans, if you're going to be aggressive or hostile, or some people saying just even booing at him, that you got to be able to take, you know, him being upset about it. But what I, what, I, what frustrates me, Kendall, is here's Julius Randle last year getting all the praise, all the love that he earned. I want to make that very clear. He played excellent basketball. He was a leader. He played extremely hard. He gave it all to the city. And that's why the city showed him the love that he did, that he got. Here he is taking accountability for what he saw was a bad attitude, poor play on the court, and a lack of leadership in his first year. And here he's saying, I need to change my ways. I need to figure it out. The Knicks fans were booing him in his first year. I was, I know. I was watching those games. And he turns it around, and I, I kept writing on Twitter, this is the, you know, I'm a wrestling fan, so we always talk about, you know, baby faces who are the, hero, who are the heroes and the heels who are the villains. I said, this is the biggest baby face turn I've seen in New York sports history. This guy was a complete villain. The team drafted his replacement. Nobody wanted him on the roster. And this year, next year, they're chanting MVP. It was a great story. And here he was taking accountability last year, saying that it wasn't on anybody else. It was on me not taking the right steps to be ready for this moment of being the star of the Knicks and leading New York City to the promised land, hopefully. And to see last night what I saw, which was this attitude of somehow the fans were at fault and that they had no right to be expressing their displeasure for what has just, quite frankly, been sorry play by Julius Randle and New York Knicks for most of the season. Knicks last year finished fourth in the Eastern Conference. Right now, they're 10th. They're one game below 500. We're not talking about this is a three-game losing streak. We're not talking about this is, you know, 10 games into the season. We're almost halfway through the season. And Julius Randle is not playing good basketball. He's shooting barely above 40%. He's shooting barely above 30% from three. He's averaging only 19 points. He's rebounding the ball, and that's very important. And it's happy to see that he's rebounding the ball. But his turnovers have been high. His defensive effort has suffered. And it's clear, just put on the tape, you can see the mental errors he makes on offense and defense, the lack of effort you see on offense and defense. And it's one of the main reasons why this team has struggled. And what I don't like is this attitude of, oh, well, like you guys got to understand that if you got to boo him, he's going to be mad about it. Julius Randle would never see any boos or any kind of hostility if he simply just played hard. The New York City, we love Kendall John Starks, and Latrell Sprewell, at least in my era watching Knicks basketball. Two players, very imperfect. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, extremely imperfect players, guys that made mistakes on the court. Sprewell made a big mistake off the court before he became a New York Knick. But you know what? Them guys are, they got carte blanche. They're loved by the fans. They're adored by the fans, even to this day. You know why, Kendall? Because they went out there, and they played hard every night. There's two yep. prerequisites to play basketball, and they'll play really any sport in New York City. Play with maximum effort and take accountability. And what Nick fans were seeing from Julius Randle all season was a lack of effort, 
and a lack of accountability. And what I don't understand, Kendall, and this is to some of the fans that have defended Julius through this, and this is why I keep hearing this argument that makes no sense to me, is, oh, well, again, if you're going to give it, you got to be able to take it. You got to be able to keep that same energy, is the, the phrase I keep saying, hearing people say. Well, wait a minute, Kendall. If that's the case, then Julius Randle, when he turns the ball over, when he shoots an air ball, when he doesn't get back on defense, when he misses a defensive rotation, because he's doing that all the time when he over dribbles and stops the ball on offense, and the fans start booing him, I want to see him throw dumbs down if he doesn't feel like he doesn't like that. I don't. To me, it's corny. To you make a couple, you make a couple of plays and you score a couple of baskets and you win a game, and now you want to talk about thumbing down the fans and shut the f up. It was the same thing with Javi Baez. You're all you guys are very quiet when you're playing terrible, terrible ball, whether it's the Mets or whether it's the Knicks. I don't hear anything from these guys. No accountability. The day before, Julius Randle said he didn't care what the critics had to say about his play. But then the minute you do anything good, because he's had a bad season, <laughs> you, you make a couple of layups in a comeback, and now you're, you're, you're telling the crowd to shut the F up, and you're dumbing down the crowd? You keep that the same energy. Don't tell the fans to keep the same energy. He's to keep the same energy. When he's, when he's throwing the ball away, throwing the ball into the, the fifth row, I want to see him thumbing down the fans, too. That's how he feels. Now, with that being said, Kendall, he apologized. I think that was the right move. And like I said before, I think that clearly, you know, the Knicks fans, can. some of them, it's not the majority. Some of them can get out of hand. And clearly, some of them got under his skin in a way that he didn't like. And the fans, again, that crossed the line with their comments to him or to his family that that happened, we, again, totally, totally disrespectful we don't condone that and wishing COVID him again totally disrespectful we don't condone that but booing sorry you're never you're never gonna get sympathy from me as a professional athlete when you're playing terrible and you're being booed and then you get upset about it and take it personal and my thing is at the end of the day the Knicks fans won because he was getting booed for playing terrible basketball in that first half he didn't score for like the first 20 minutes of the first half and then he goes on this. He plays a very good second half. He finished the first half pretty strong. And then Knicks won. And guess what? The fans are cheering. Everybody's happy. Everybody's going home happy. He's the only one that's mad. So who really wins in the end? So this whole, this whole, this, this generation of players, I know they're different because they, they're, they're a little bit, they're, they're a little bit too easy to touch for these fans, whether it be physically or even just through verbal because of social media and things like that. So I understand they probably hear a little bit more heat than maybe players in the past did. You know, he's got people probably DMing him, commenting him, peep stuff in his Instagram, his Twitter. So there's, there's, it's different than the guy playing in the 90s or, or the 80s. But at the same time, you can't paint a broad brush over all the fans telling them to shut the F up when you haven't taken accountability for your sorry play. And Julius Randle set the bar last year. I don't think the fans would be booing him as much as they were had he not played so great last year. So I don't want to hear anything more about this idea that players are, are you know, we, we got to stop, you know, criticizing Julius Randle because there's a segment of Nick fans that are treating Julius Randle right now like he's Carmelo Anthony, who also didn't win anything in New York, but at the very least played hard and tried. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like very basic thing. And he did it for a lot of years, not one year. 
A lot of people are just saying that we should just leave Julius Randle alone. Don't criticize him. Every time he has one good half, they want to say, oh, where's the apologies? How soft has some of these Knicks fans gotten? When <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, you know, am, I, am I tripping on this? He's played terrible this year. And I think he would admit that if you asked him, if he was being honest. And I think that's part of the frustration here, too. But you can't turn it on the fans, man. That's corny. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I don't have the the, the emotion uh, attached to this uh, equation. I, I mean, when – I mean, you never want to see, obviously, your star player uh, sort of going after the fans or um, – you never want to see your, your your franchise player, the face of the franchise, um, going after the going after the fans in any sort of way. Um, I mean, obviously, as, I mean as a Celtics fan, um, you know there were there were some Celtics fans that didn't love when when Marcus Smart kind of called out the fan base a little bit last year um, during all the Kyrie stuff. And, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. It it, it, it it's it's. And that was a different, obviously, a much different situation. But um, when I when I when I look at Randall, um, I mean, obviously, the season he's had has not been uh, has not been nearly the season that he had last season. Uh, it's a lot more similar to the guy he was the year prior to that, um, which was uh, a guy that was ran very hot and cold, uh, a guy that was like you said, turnover prone, inefficient. Um, you know, wasn't wasn't you know necessarily in tip-top shape or didn't play as hard as you 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 know consistently that as, as you would like um and that's sort of what he's transformed back into to a degree and i think honestly if you're if you're randall you have to understand the frustration from fans is not it's 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 almost a compliment because they're expecting you to play better right exactly you know because he wasn't getting this kind of heat two years ago no, like, it wasn't it was not this bad? I agree. Yeah, it was that. not. He was not getting this kind of heat because people kind of kind of was what people expected. Yeah, I and mean, people didn't want him here. Like they they wanted Kevin Durant. They wanted Kyrie Irving. So right, exactly. he just came in. He he was you know he was playing subpar. He he got booed. He he didn't get love here. But it, you know, right. it wasn't the same, obviously. You know, because right. they he wasn't someone they wanted here to begin with. Yeah, and they were Knicks, um, Knicks fans. I think were resigned to the fact that it was going to be a miserable season, and it was. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so I feel like. Now that there are expectations, um, you know, I think as a player, you have to, you just have to, you have to own it and you have to, you have to thrive in it. Now, look, not everybody plays well in that environment. Um, there's an added level of pressure, you could argue, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like more and more, obviously, I think the more and more the season goes, the more Randall seems to be a guy that. You know, obviously they gave him the long-term contract, but will he play out that that long-term contract? I don't know. Um, and that's obviously somewhere way down the line you would expect. Um, I don't think he'll be moved in February. So mm-hmm. as of right now, trying to fix this season, um, he's got to play better. Uh, yeah. And I think a lot of his issues, some of it is, him being put in the same spots he was in last year and him not being able to produce the same. And you, at some point you have to ask yourself, is that his fault or is that the coaching? Because, you know, it's kind of a dead clock or not a dead clock. It was right twice a day, but um, more so, you know, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing, right. expecting a different result where you've got, 
you know, at some point you're trying to, you're just assuming he's going to revert back to, he's going to start hitting the tough shots and he's going to start, you know, being smarter with the basketball. But if he's not doing it at some point, put him in different spots, get him easier shots, try and try and get him better mismatches. Um, and right now that's, that hasn't really happened. So, I mean, it, it, who the onus falls on is really, that's the blame game. And that's something that Nick fans have obviously gone through as well. But yeah. right now he's got to play better. No doubt about it. And that's kind of been my whole thing with a lot of this next season is, you know, I've, I've had plenty of my issues with Tibbs and I've talked about him a bunch, maybe not on this show necessarily, but just to, you know, when I've talked about the Knicks, whether it be my social media or to people individually. And I don't think Randall's necessarily been used the best. I think in this stretch where he's played a little better recently, especially the game he came back from in Indiana, you know, it, it, you see why it's tantalizing to use him in the ways that they used him in these last two wins because he's such a freight train because he can dribble a little bit for a guy with his size. And because he draws so much attention, he creates a lot of open opportunities for a lot of other people. And he's the only guy on the roster that brings any gravity to him in any way. There's no one else on the Nick roster that teams really fear or marking down in their scouting report, somebody they got a game plan for, really. They just don't have that kind of talent. So yeah. they have good players, but not somebody that you're trying to take away from the game. You know what I'm saying? It's the difference. And when you're in the NBA, you need at least one guy that can do that because he's going to make the things easy for the guys that are maybe a little more marginal players. And Randall has shown he has the potential to do that. And, you know, we say potential is you haven't done it yet, but he actually has done it. He did it last, most of last season, almost all of last season, except for the yeah. playoffs. So that's the... That's why when it comes to the Tibbs thing, I, I kind of go back and forth because I, I get why you would do it because then you have the games you had before where you didn't have Randall, and now you're trying to run just a kind of a normal offense, and they look very pedestrian because they got a lot of pedestrian players. <laughs> like, that's that's who they are. Like, that's that's who they are as a team. Like, that's we got to get real with what the Knicks are as a talent, with the talent pool, and you're like, well, this offense is stinks. You know, they're not really creating easy shots. I'm like, yeah, well – who's creating those easy shots for them on the roster currently? Like, who's that guy? You know, so so that's why it's it's in some ways I, I do put a lot of this on Randall and his play because he's the only guy that has that capability. And if the Knicks don't play that way, I don't know if they have a chance. Because I just don't know who you're running, running the, the offense through or running your stuff through that's going to get easy shots for other people. You tried Kimba Walker for a couple of games, and he played great. And then now he can't play anymore because – he has knee or he has knee problems, which is, you know what I'm saying? Like, at a certain point, it's going to always come back to he's got he's got to just be that guy. He's got to be that alpha dog. And if you're going to be that alpha dog, it's going to come with responsibility. It's going to come with heat when you're not playing well. Again, it'd be different if he was playing well and the team was playing hard and the fans were being unnecessarily harsh. That's not the case. And what I'm tired of is I'm tired of Nick fans that I'm seeing on social media or or people that talk about the Knicks on social media playing this game like he's playing like he's been playing great ball and like you guys it's the same thing I saw with Kemba Walker Kendall I, I literally said this after the first game I've got uh, it was uh, the first loss they lost to OKC and you know they got they kind of got blown out by OKC uh, you know pretty exciting young team that you talked about before we came on the air and yes. and they look terrible. You know, the offense was just a mess. You know, I mean, they got decent shots, but they couldn't make a shot. But all we heard was the same, the people that were the, you know, the Julius stands coming out saying, oh, see, this is, see, this is how, like, y'all should, you know, put some respect on Julius Randle's name. 
And I'm just like, first of all, this team literally, the game before, almost lost to the Detroit Pistons that were putting out, you know, the Grand Rapid Pistons out there. They had, like, their whole starting lineup was gone, and Julius Randle shot 5 for 20. And the only reason why they won because Julius and the rest of that pathetic starting lineup didn't go in the game. So I don't want right. to hear, the, like, this whole thing of pretending that, oh, because this guy was in and this guy wasn't, that's why they lost. I saw Kevin Walker play terrible basketball for a month, and then he got sacked. Should he have gotten out of the rotation? I'm not going through that anymore. But he got sacked because he played terrible. And then he got back in, and it was like, see, you guys did Kemba wrong. I'm like, Kemba wasn't playing like this. <laughs> like, 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 I feel like it's like either people who are not paying attention to, this, to the Knicks that I keep seeing on social media talking about this stuff, or they're, they're purposely being obtuse. But it's like, it's like really ridiculous to me that I literally said, I'm like, this is going to be the Kemba Walker thing all over again. Julius Randle's going to come back. He's going to play decent. It's going to be people talking about y'all owe him apologies. When he's played, he played 35 or 38 mostly miserable basketball games. And the Knicks were right. well below 500. It's like you can't, that's the aspect, people are talking about a toxic fan base, that's the aspect of the fan base that right now I can't stand. The stand culture that I talk about that bothers me in all sports is permeating the Knicks fans right now and some of their defense of Julius Randle. Again, no excuse for any of the personal comments attacking his family talking about covid no we're not talking about that i'm talking about the play i seen from him on the court and the defense i've seen from that this year has been a little bit pathetic from some of these nick fans and i'm just keeping it real what do you got what do you got on the celtics kendall because email udoka this guy kendall we talk about i saw someone tweet that he leads the league right now in in player call outs among all nba head coaches which is yeah. quite a, which is funny because I'm like, man, I don't know, Chauncey Billups got him, <laughs> got him really close. But like, he, he once again came after the Celtics and, and saying that they didn't have mental toughness, that they, you know, they fold too easily. You know, just very harsh comments. You don't normally yeah. hear from head coaches he unless they have they very have, desperate uh, situations. Yeah, he said that, uh, he, he said, he told him, you know, you, you guys, do you want me to, uh, do I have to start calling timeouts? And slowing down our pace and, and yeah, yeah, I got to call and plays, call and plays. You know, exactly. like, he, he, he was like, I got, he basically, I got treat, I got treat y'all like a high school team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the the email Doka thing is is, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I know it's. I've, I've said it on the show multiple times with the Celtics. Um, they're what we're seeing is, I know a lot of. The conversation points directly to Tatum and Brown, um, and then it points to Ime Udoka. I think the big thing that we're seeing with this team is what happens when you when you have when you don't retain high level talent um, over years, and that that attrition eventually catches up to you uh, when you lose uh, Kyrie Irving for nothing, and he just walks. Uh, or you lose Al Horford and Kyrie Irving, and you put re- you replace those two with Kemba Walker. It 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 shows because then Kemba Walker, who's already not as good as Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. then he ends up not having to get traded. Well, obviously, also you lose Gordon Hayward. Right. Can't forget about that for nothing. Um, then you lose. You have to trade Kemba Walker because he's playing as bad as he was last year, and you have to trade him. You, you get Al Horford back, who's not the same Al Horford, not the same All Star Al Horford that you had when you, when you lost him, and now you don't have the point guard 
that you've had uh, all these years, whether it be Isaiah Thomas, Kemba Walker, Kyrie Irving. So what we're seeing now is a team that's, that's sort of a shell of itself. They're trying to replace, uh, on some level, all of those guys that I mentioned, and they haven't replaced them. Mm-hmm. They've replaced those guys with Dennis Schroeder, and, and again, they brought back an older Al Horford, and they're hoping right. Robert Williams is who's much better than he was years ago, but they're relying on those guys and they're relying essentially on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to be that much better. And they're, they're, they're great players, but they can't carry a team on their back. They need help. And there's not a lot. uh, There have been a lot of draft picks as good as those draft picks were of Tatum and Brown. Do you have the star players, but they also had a ton of draft picks that, that at this present time should be, contributing role players and right, right. now you know Peyton Pritchard is is you know obviously he started off the season really rough with a with a broken nose and he did not play well um Aaron Eastmith has been obviously he was a non-factor all of last season up until the end and then this season's gotten you know sporadic minutes and Romeo Langford's been an enigma since he left high school basically right. um so you and I mean Grant Williams I mean you know Carson Edwards is, is playing in you know Yugoslavia yeah. so I don't know right. I mean, it's it's you've had <laughs> you a lot of guys. You say Yugoslavia. <laughs> Yugoslavia is not a country. Yeah, I'm gonna say I don't think that I don't think they have a league. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> they don't a have thing. a country. Kind of. Yeah, that's, that's not. I don't know. There's Serbia and then there's Croatia now. Yeah, yeah. He's playing one of them leagues. <laughs> he's, he's playing in Latveria. Um, yeah, no, I mean, they're 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 having a tough time right now in terms of the the actual roster. And that's that's where we're seeing the issues. But yeah, obviously everything's gonna go to Tatum and Brown, um, and then it's gonna go to Ime Udoka. Is Ime Udoka doing a good job? Absolutely not. I don't think that there's there's no way you can say yeah, I think Udoka's doing a good job. It's just the the players aren't. It, it doesn't make any sense. Of course he's not doing a good job. Could you argue that he's not doing any worse than Brad Stevens was doing last year? You can make that case. Um, this team was pretty much, I would say, yeah, I, I can't say it was just as. Dysfunctional last season. Yeah, they were better and they were not as dysfunctional because Stevens wasn't calling out. Right. He, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. He Udoka wasn't. Contrib- has created he wasn't cause he's contributing of, to the dysfunction. Yeah, he's, creating, he's contributing to a lot of dysfunction and the in the the chaos and the infighting. Some of it's coming from the coach, so that's why I can't say. But outside of that, you know, some of the other stuff on the court has it was kind of just as chaotic. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously. You know, changing coaches doesn't you know, all of a sudden make you more stable. Uh, he's a young coach. You, you hope that he'll get better. Fix, it definitely doesn't fix the roster either. Yeah, and it does, also does not fix the, fix the roster issues, which is why I've, I and I think a lot of Celtics fans understand that this is a lost season. You know, I've, I said this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the Lakers. Sometimes as a, as a fan base or as an organization, you have to understand that you're not going to win a championship. You're not in it. You're not in the mix. You may want to be. You may feel like, well, we've got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You know, it, I mean, besides the Nets, there aren't really, there's really, there may not be another team in the East that you look at and say, they've got two players better than our two players. You know, maybe may, Milwaukee may, may as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, re, I mean, that, that depends on how you feel about Milton. Yeah. That, that, that's it. When it comes to the Celtics team. And because of that, you have to look at yourself in the mirror as a franchise and say, we're not in it. We're not in the mix. We don't have the depth. We don't have a point guard. Our bigs are below average. We have no depth. 
Like this isn't. There's no. There isn't. A, this isn't a contender. This isn't a championship team. There's a team that could, you know, maybe win a round. You know, miraculously, maybe we were a six seed and we matched up against, you know, Miami or somebody or Toronto. Like, yeah, we probably could, you know, luck, we probably could luck our way into beating one of those mm-hmm. teams. But we're not going on a run. You know, yeah. so yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know. I'm not saying they got a tank. I mean, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind if you're a fan, if it's not winning a championship, is tank. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can try that. I don't think this draft. I think this draft is good, but I don't think this draft presents. Us. And like, what does tanking mean? Like, are you gonna just start benching Jason Tatum? Like, I mean, right, he, he, you know, like he's too yeah. good to like. And yeah, him. just in general, like this team is too good to. This team's yeah, not gonna they, get. Yeah, they're yeah they're a they're a fringe playing team. Right. Like, that's just who they are. So they're not if gonna you be were a team serious about tanking. We started today, and we were, we were borderline series where you know we were kind of resting Tatum and Brown here or there. Like we would still, in terms of lottery lottery position, we'd probably maybe find our way eight, seven. You yeah. know, I mean, because there's some teams. I mean, like like the, the the Pistons and the Orlando Magic are just yeah they they've set. They they they're too far gone. Yeah, you know, the Pelicans, even, the, 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 the the Rockets. No, the Rockets. They're just another ten game losing streak away from being yeah. right back in that mix with the with the with the, with the Magic. So exactly, like, you know, like it's, you're it's not foolish those to teams. say that. You know, yeah, we're gonna try and get Chet Holmgren. Like that that conversation's right. over. The yeah. conversation of getting Paolo. So my thing is like, if we're gonna tank. I mean, do how how high are you on Johnny Davis? How high are you on right? You know, Jaden Hardy, like or Jaden Ivy, like you know, Patrick Baldwin, and, you know, guys like that. Yeah, exactly. Patrick Baldwin. If you think one of those guys is going to help you, you know, and I think that there are some of those guys that make sense, but this team needs a real floor general. I don't think there's that point guard in this draft that's that that's that's, that's going to help this team that much. Not a rookie. Um, this team needs a, a, a dynamic big. I mean, I like Jalen Duran, but it, I mean, you already have Robert Williams, so it's not like, you know, Jalen Duran is going to give you, present you that much different of a piece. So really... You gotta, you gotta kind of play the season now, you know. Try to mac- minimize injuries. Try and get into the playoffs. Try and show improvement, um, and then see if you can find a way either through at the trade deadline or in the free agency in the off season acquire a real point guard. And I, I hate to say that it sounds like a, a knock on Marcus Smart. Obviously, I love Marcus Smart. Um, I don't think he can be the starting point guard of this team. You know, not not yeah. not with the way they're presently constituted. I mean, uh, I mean, he's not. I mean, he's not a natural point guard. I mean, I think that that's. I think that's not a knock on him. And, and it's not only that he's not a natural point guard, but I think his the rest of his uh, his skill set is is hampered when he has to play point guard. Right. Yeah. Because now he can't be the. It's, it's like it's like you know, asking a guy who's a who's a thirty point scorer now. I need you to facilitate. You know, right. like. Smart can't be the amoeba, you know, sort of free safety that he is consistently if he's also got a team, you know, for an entire game. And if you do that for a game, we've seen him in plenty, plenty of situations where Isaiah Thomas was hurt or, you know, uh, Kyrie was hurt and he all of a sudden he went and got 30. But some guys can't do that for 82 games. And Russell Westbrook kind of said that about him, you know, a couple years, like his rookie year. It's like this is a... 81 game versus 82 games is a lot. Is a big, is a big difference. Yeah, there's something, I don't know. There's something about there's something about Emi Udoka that I think is something that I've, I've been thinking about all day as we prepare for this show. And I guess the one person I want to exclude from this, well, I guess I'll say one because Monty Williams is really more 90s era. But like, 
the coaches we've seen kind of come from this previous era that have started to become head coaches. Uh, Ime Odoka, Chauncey Billups, I think about Brian Shaw, um, who are some other guys? Oh, Luke Walton was the one I wanted to mention. Yes. It feels like there's a disconnect. Jason Kidd, another good one. It feels like there's a disconnect between that generation and these current players that is not boding well. We even well. saw Nash. Nash uh, blast, uh, blast the Nets, and we'll, we'll he, probably... He blew, he, blew, he, blew, he, he blew up on them recently as well. Yeah, they, has not, they have not responded. <laughs> no, 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 they're getting hammered by Milwaukee. And they, uh, though they did have a good win against Indiana. Um, yeah, thanks to Kyrie. Good, uh, yeah, Kyrie <laughs> was there, right. Um, yeah. Which is a whole other story. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if there's a generational issue that for some reason is, is not making these things work as well as they maybe seem they, they should on paper. Again, Ty Lue has shown, you know, he's been a great coach uh, in the NBA. You know, I said, I don't really want to count Mati. I think, I, I think of him more as like a 90s player. But those guys that have played in that like, you know, 2000s era, the guys that kind of began that new millennium, the guys that are now becoming head coaches as they should be, I feel like a lot of these guys are like, and, and a lot of it's the same. It's like this issue with like connecting to their players and being too harsh on them and working them too hard and and for whatever reason though I don't see I don't seem to see these issues with the older guys and I don't know if it's a thing where the players aren't respecting a younger guy trying to impose his will on them like they maybe they would an older guy like that I'm not I don't I don't I don't, I don't know why the even, answer is. sometimes even an older or younger thing because there are younger coaches but sometimes it's not it's the former player it's thing. not the former NBA player you know? right they get there are young coaches who come in but again they don't seem to be at war with their players constantly yeah but I mean again between Chauncey and Ime Udoka I feel like there's someone else this year that's been getting at their guy but those two guys have just definitely like. They've just been getting after yeah. their guys. And, you know, and Jason Kidd has, has been that way in the past as well. He's coached multiple stops at this point. And I'm just like, is there something with the disconnect? That's alluding to this? Because, you know, Udoka, you know, he, he came with, you know, a lot of high praise. And I think for good reason. But something is off there with just how he's kind of yeah, yeah, dealing be, with these players. Well, I mean, he'd be the ultimate player's coach. Right. And, like, to me, like, you know, he's like... The, like to me, the Celtics don't got a roster that needs somebody to be kicking them in the in the behind. Like they don't. Like he says, they're not that mentally tough. Like I kind of would agree, but I don't think like that's not how you would reach them to me. Like I I don't like that seems like a poor read of the locker room. Like those guys in that locker yeah. room, how I would try to motivate them, it wouldn't be coming in the media saying they had no mental toughness. Like like to me, this is a team. Because you also you have to, to remember. You need to actually boost their confidence. I think they're a team that probably needs more encouragement, and I don't really see it from him. He seems to blame everyone else except for himself for any of the problems they deal with. People, people that that don't follow the Celtics as closely may not see this as much, but this is a this is a Celtics team that was like when Danny Ainge ran the team. They they thought very long and hard about how do the players. That they 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 I mean they when they evaluate players they evaluate their their brain types their right. personalities how will they mesh how will they fit into roles I mean he talked about it or well, I don't think he talked about it but because uh, he, he he doesn't want to get into any of that but uh, Jonathan Niedenagel who's Niedenagel who's Danny Ainge's brain guru essentially mm-hmm. talked about how when they 
that when they picked Rondo, they knew Rondo and Doc Rivers aren't going to see eye to eye. They, they, right. they knew that going into it, just based on the way Rondo's wired and the way Doc Rivers is wired. Well, Celtics team that we have now was was constructed, for the most, at least the, the, the core players, for the most part, were constructed for a Brad Stevens coach team. Mm. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Robert Williams. These guys were all brought in to play for Brad Stevens, Peyton Pritchard, right. Aaron Neesmith. From a, from and a, I think temperament, from a those, temperament standpoint, too. Right, exactly. Yes, exactly. From a temperament standpoint. We saw, you know, by the end, you could argue maybe it was tuned out, this and that. But obviously had a lot of great success with all of these guys. And Ime Udoka, for a lot of respects, a lot of people thought was going to be similar to Brad Stevens. You know, that was the kind of the look from the outside. Obviously, when you're an assistant, it's a little different. But um, there was a, there was something, oh, yeah, this guy is probably going to be pretty similar to Brad Stevens in his calm, cool demeanor and this and that. And I think Udoka on the sidelines is going to be calm and cool. But then I don't I, – I didn't expect, you know, the, the, the pot shots in the – Yeah. yeah. In the, in the um, that, that he's, not, just, he's just ruthless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the last guy that they've had that kind of did that kind of stuff was Kyrie Irving. <laughs> right. The, yeah. the the passive-aggressive pot shots in the media. Yeah, that and we did, saw that. that, that say to say that did not play well. Yes, it did not play well with Jason Tatum, did not play well with Jalen Brown especially. And, you know, eventually that war thin in the locker room and Kyrie seemed like, obviously Kyrie was going to leave, but it seemed like Boston was like, don't hit your door, don't hit your head on the way out. Uh, when he left. So, yeah, I mean, Udoka, again, you know, at this point, it's like, I mean, there's nothing you can do. Um, was he the right hire? I'm sure. I I will go as far as to say, I think if they could get a mulligan, I think they would they would gladly take one. Um, unfortunately, you're not in that position for the most part. I don't think, you know, the front office is trying to, you know, just fire a coach. Um, yeah. I don't think that the ownership group is trying to pay two coaches at once. So I, I would assume that they're going to try and see, see this through. Maybe it gets better. I don't think Udoka is a terrible coach. Um, obviously, I think he has a very good coaching staff with him as well. I, I obviously really like Damon Stoudemire. Uh, Will Hardy is a very uh, res- uh, respected young coach from San Antonio. So I think they've got they've got a pretty good brain trust. It's just about the morale right now. The morale is low, and but Udoka has that much to help that. But it's so important, you know, we always think about who these guys coached under. I think that is important. But you also got to think about who they played under. Emu Doka came in this league, you know, he he, he got his he got his break in the league playing on the Lag Brown and the Knicks. I mean, yes. do I even got to talk about when it comes to uh, dysfunction and how, how how he ran a locker room and, and talking shots and the, taking shots in the media? I mean, that's how he, he came into the league, you know. And, and he played for Greg Popovich, who also not afraid to – take shots throughout the media, he coached under him for, you know, almost a decade. And I, I kind of started to wonder, you know, is, is, you know, Greg Popovich, that, we haven't seen a lot of success in San Antonio recently. And to say that is like, you know, oh, my God, it's like this crazy, like, you yeah, know, what are you trying to say? hearsay, and how <laughs> could you say that or whatever. But let's keep it a buck. Very little success since Ka- Kawhi Leonard twisted his ankle in that conference championship game against the Warriors. We haven't heard nothing from San Antonio. Yeah, we haven't since, sniffed, they haven't sniffed a, nothing. a a championship or Western Conference final. So when we come down to, you know, every organization wants to just pluck from the, from the, from the pop tree, I, I'm going to start asking questions about, I mean, is that, is that tree relevant for today's players? 
And again, I, these are all just questions I'm asking. I don't know the answer to it because again, I I look at more is there a generational gap that's happening between former players of the previous generation and these players? Because I'm seeing it regardless of whether you coach for Pop. But when it comes to Adoka, particularly, you know, Pop is a very hardened dude. And <laughs> when you start, when you start really very hardened, and it's like, what's like, is this is this the right guy to coach these kind of people? When you start really peeling the Udoka onion, I mean, then you get into the fact, okay, he was, he was in Philly with Brett Brown, and I mean, look how good was Brett Brown, and you know, he was in uh, he was in Brooklyn last year with Nash, and Nash is uh, another conversation. I, I mean, we can. I, I mean, I guess we could talk about the Nets. Yeah, say, uh, something, yeah, say something real quick on the Nets. I don't... They're, they're getting blown out. The game's about to end uh, against the Milwaukee Bucks. This Nets team, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but what is this like? Four out of five that they've lost. Three out of four. Um, I know they lost to the Clippers. Yes, they lost uh, four. Out of, they lost four out of five. They lost four out of five. Uh, and then the Buck, I mean, the Pacers game they won. They were down by a lot. Yes. They dead in that. game. Kyrie kind of woke him up in the, at the end of the game. Um, I, I look, I, I I hate to be the guy that's like I don't want to I, I I don't want to do the, you know, it's just it's time. It's time, time to trouble. panic, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's time to panic. It's time to worry about Kevin Durant and James Harden. Right. Um, you know, and in, in, in what are we in January? I, right. No, it's not time to worry yet. But it, I mean. I don't know. If we're talking I, think about winning, I think the question more is, can you glean anything from some of these games this early? It's not necessarily do you panic, but okay, are, that's we, a, that's a are we being informed, informed yes. by anything we're seeing in some of these games? I think that that's because I think we what go I back and say, forth, and that's a better way to say this. Because some yeah. for some teams, and some teams is like, no, I don't care about anything that happens here. But for some teams, yeah. say this is something that's informative. They may have to tweak something or change something, or at least their attitude may have to change before they get to the playoffs. Doesn't mean yeah. that oh, this is not going to work. But that's that's a better way, I think, to look at it. Yes, and what I'll say is, the 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 roster that is around Durant and Harden and Kyrie is is a bit um, right. It's it's a lot worse than you would think. Yeah, you would think a team that's been that that you would think again you should be able to attract almost any guy anybody on the one year, you know, minimum deal, you know, and they've got named guys. They brought in Millsap, they've got Blake Griffin, they've got Aldridge. Um I mean, there's there's just none of it makes any I mean Patty Mills is the only guy that that, that you that you can be excited about. Uh and I mean, there's some of the young guys actually have afforded them more than afforded the more minutes and better minutes than the than the older guys have. Uh yeah. I've been impressed with obviously Cam Thomas and David oh, wow. Duke. Out of Providence, um, Daron Sharp's giving them some good minutes. So I mean, the rookies and some of the younger guys, and, and you know, DeAndre Bembry is giving them some good minutes. Like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense why, <laughs> um, but it reminds you a little bit of what the Lakers are dealing with. But what we're seeing now, and what Milwaukee did in this Brooklyn game, uh, is just they just trapped James Harden. And when there's no Kyrie Irving, just trap James Harden on all the pick and rolls, and make these other guys beat you. Yeah, you have to. Even if Kevin Durant gets thirty, right? If they don't, and they don't play defense, so if they don't play defense, they don't have a rim protector. You're gonna get one twenty, and yeah, how are they gonna scramble together one hundred and twenty yeah. points without Kyrie? It, yeah, without yeah, without Kyrie Irving, especially right. if 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 they don't, if James Harden is is held to under thirty, and Durant gets his, you know, Durant has to get fifty. It looks a lot like the the conference finals last year, so. 
yeah, I, I, I'm not, again, I'm not panicked. They'll, they'll certainly be in that Eastern Conference Finals, but man, talking about winning about. a championship, Something that's another at. conversation. Right. And I think that's fair. I think, look, I, I know I had the Nets winning the East. I thought they'd win it fairly easily, um, even without Kyrie. So this is, again, they're second in the East. They, they've had a good season. They've surprisingly been a little, they've been poor at home, which is surprisingly actually not that. So not it's not that like that's not that much of an of an outlier among some of the, the better teams in the NBA, especially in the Eastern Conference. Nets are ten and nine at home, but I mean Philly's eight and eight at home. Uh, Cleveland, who's had a really good season, is eleven nine at eleven and nine at home. Uh, you know there are some other teams that you know like Knicks are below five hundred at home. The Toronto Raptors are eleven and ten at home. They, you, know, so, you know Milwaukee and Chicago have been excellent at home, but they kind of really been the only teams that have been that good. I mean, Miami too, but. For some reason, these teams on the road are having, to me, a little more success than I'm accustomed to seeing in today's NBA this year. So I don't know what to make of that. They've been excellent on the road this year. But what I, I think if there's anything to kind of, again, I say glean and get information from, not panic over. But anything to glean like, information from when I watch the Nets is they're not a very athletic team. They, they You know, they're... they're Besides no, Nick Claxton, yeah. Besides him, they don't have a plus athlete on the roster. Maybe David. Maybe David Duke. Maybe. Would you say he's a plus athlete? Uh, uh in, I mean, but I mean, how like many minutes he playing in the playoffs? Right. But yeah, but, if he is, I mean, is he really a factor? But my point being, okay, those are the two guys I can point to. And say, okay, these are the plus athletes on the roster. It doesn't. It's not a death nail, but it is something. It is. It's not nothing that they're a, they're a very they're a very slow team. They're a very unathletic team. Now they're highly skilled, especially at the, the top. But even some of their role players, like a Patty Mills and a Lamarcus Aldridge, we got are extremely skilled. You know, Joe Harris is an excellent shooter. When he gets back healthy, he certainly will help them if he comes back and is playing the right way. I know he's been a little up and down since you know the debacle in the playoffs last year, but I, I think this team could could use somebody to come in and kind of change the athletic profile of the team. I think some of the defensive woes that you talk about, some of it stems from that. You know, they don't have a guy who I look at and say, oh, this guy's a stopper. You know, they try to play Javon Carter, but he's been so poor offensively this year that you just can't play him. Like, you know, regardless of how how good defender he is. You know, I know Nets fans have been clamoring for them to just keep playing Cam Thomas and and glue Javon Carter to the bench, and I understand it given how he's played this year. But what's concerning is some of those high-skilled, you know, role players are older. So you know, you gotta worry about their minutes. You gotta worry about their health. So these are things to just consider. I still think the Nets are, are the class of the East, but not nearly as as dominant as I thought they would be. I think that Chicago is serious competition because Chicago has great athleticism on their team, and obviously the Milwaukee are the defending champs. You know, I wouldn't sleep on Miami either. I'm not as keen on them. And there seems to be something between Philly and Brooklyn too. I don't. There, there's some kind of beef there. I know Durant and Embiid. You know they had Embiid was waving them off the court, and Durant yeah. got upset, which Durant had did to him the previous time they they beat them. But there's something there when those teams play that Philly plays up for those games. So these Eastern Conference teams, that I thought that they would kind of run through besides Milwaukee. Like they look a lot much more like competition than I expected. Again, I I think the Nets are still better than these teams because Durant is just an alien. And James Harden is just an alien. I think even having Kyrie for road games is still a, a great help. 
I hate that they they did it. I think that it showed you know a lack of character as an organization. But from a bas excuse me from a basketball standpoint, I mean it was night and day when you saw him out there in Indiana. You could be playing kind of sleepy basketball, and you know he could just turn it on in the second half, and then you win. That's what if it, that's do, what happens when you have a supernova. Do you, you think know? the Nets are better off in the playoffs not having home home court advantage? I've thought about that. I think one hundred percent. I, I think they, I, I would rather. I, not I, have. And I, there are some people who I think that they may think that that's crazy. I totally disagree. I don't think that I wouldn't want home court. Yeah, I wouldn't want home court either. Because your first two games, you have Kyrie Irving. Right, you can set the tone. Yeah, your team is when you have superstar type players. Like to me, those are the kind of players that I need for the road. I need to set. Like I'm not as concerned about setting the tone by having home court and winning the first two games when I'm a team like the Nets. I'm yeah. more concerned about having the guys that I need when the game when the when it's a winner winner take all kind of situation, which is potentially yeah. happening in a game seven. And I I'd rather start like- the start the series with my guys than try to bring them in after you're down o- o- two, exactly. or even yeah. tie one one. I don't I don't like having to insert another piece in the middle of the series. I know taking away a piece in the middle of the series is one way another way of looking at it, but um, I feel like guys get hurt sometimes and play like like I feel like that's more easy to adjust to, right? Exactly. And then ultimately, like if you're talking way down the line, the final conference final. If you get to a game seven, I'd rather have Kyrie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd rather I mean, if you get to late or, in the play, it's not even a conversation. Yeah, like, I'd rather you know, have four than three. Yeah, so. I mean, am I concerned from the Nets a first round matchup against you know the Raptors or the Wizards or the Knicks? No, I, I'm I get, I'll take home court, whatever. Now the Knicks it might be a little weird because I don't think Kyrie could play at all, which would be fascinating. But, um, right. but maybe outside the Knicks. But with the Wizards or the Raptors or Boston, one of those teams, I wouldn't probably care as much whether I was in, you know at home or on the road. But I think when you get to that that second round potentially, or definitely the conference finals and NBA finals, I would yeah I would much prefer to play on the road to start the series, have them for at least four games. And I'll make the adjustment when we come back home. I, w- I don't want to start a series without my best guy and potentially yeah. be having to try to come back from being down 0-2. I, I know that, 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 would, that would scare me. Um, but let's, uh, let, let's shift gears from the NBA. Let's talk uh, quickly about some other stuff happening. So Antonio Brown, no longer a member of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after taking off his jersey and jogging off the field and celebrating after being sent away by Coach Bruce Arians. But the A-B saga appears to have only just begun for Tampa Bay. Brown, who claims he did not go into the game against the Jets because of ankle pain, has since taken to social media to slam the Buccaneers front office, Bruce Arians, and Tom Brady. He says Arians knew the severity of his injury, which he says will require surgery to remove bone fragments and repair a torn ligament, while saying Brady essentially sold him out, blaming the seven-time Super Bowl champion for his, quote, prove-it deal that he had to play on this season. And saying Brady only seems to, seems to him as a friend because he because of what he can do in the football field, not because of their personal relationship. So uh, now, since AB expanded on his injury, Arians and the Buccaneers have tried to provide more context on their side. They say that AB was complaining about targets in the locker room and on the sideline prior to the incident, and then he was sent off when he didn't go into the game. Then you also had them saying that they tried to get him to see a medical professional to talk, look at his ankle. He says he already saw somebody, so he shouldn't have had, had to do that. They try to get a second opinion on his ankle so they could go through the proper procedure to protect him, essentially. I think he would be able to get some of his money if he uh, was indeed injured. He 
declined to do that, and therefore he's no longer on the team. The Bucks will, of course, try to keep every cent that they can from the situation. Kendall, are you expecting the, uh, AB to get another chance with any other team after this point uh, with the circus? Um. Oh man. He said. He I, says that. He says that t- coaches are already calling him. That's what he says. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, I, I do. I think he's gonna get another shot. I think there's a. There's a pretty good chance he's gonna play in the NFL again. Um, he's there's enough there's enough cloudiness in this situation there where someone will give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, and right now, as of this moment, he's too good of a player for this to 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 deter every team in the league from from staying away from him. Um, he is delusional if he thinks that he's the best receiver or was the best receiver on that team. Um, that's not even a knock. He's just playing with two guys that are, you know, top 15 receivers in the league. And I don't think Antonio Brown's a top 15 guy. Um, is he top 30? Probably. But, um, but that's, that's another conversation. Uh, and look, any team that has three of the top 30 receivers in the league is a, sure. is a, is a good problem to have. Yeah, but, exactly. um, and if he wants to know why he wasn't getting targeted, I mean, there's a team with a lot of, it's a team with a lot of weapons, man. And this is a team that Eagles. Now to be fair, to now be fair to God, Godwin is not there right now. We've had some injuries and, and, yes. you know, he had a certain incentive he's trying to meet. For right. I believe it was targets. I think he just needed a certain amount of targets. Yeah, get, well, yeah. Uh, I think yeah, it was. A, I think it was a targets or was it catches? It, may, it might have been catches. No, it was a catches and yards and maybe a touchdown. Yeah, it, maybe it was catches. But regardless, he needed the targets to yeah, get. Yeah, targets. He need to, he get targeted to get it right to get to the incentives, and a lot of them were yards and things like that. So, so I think there was a, there was concern. He has not said this, but there was concern that the Bucks at least trying to say about perhaps maybe that was motivating some of his issues, that he wasn't getting the ball enough. And, and then that all that money. is like why the situation is so cloudy. Because on the one hand, he's saying I was hurt. But then on the other hand, he's – and again. He's talking about he's money. Not, yeah, yeah. You know, not all of this is coming from the same source. But if you're trying to piece together the story, you're saying, yeah, I was injured. But at the same time, why am I not getting targeted enough? And I'm like, well, maybe because you were hurt. You weren't getting all the targets. Maybe we don't want to run you into the ground. You know, I mean, there are some plays where you just want a guy out there as I can. Right. Yeah, you just want him out there as a decoy. Antonio Brown being on the field is valuable whether or not he's getting the ball or not. Right. Which is part of the reason why they were saying, part of, I, I 100% is part of the reason why they wanted him out there, regardless of his condition. And we see right. it all the time. With That's teams, why in that but, text message that we saw from Bruce Arians, he, he was yeah. dead. You no, know, look. If you can go, we'd love to have you out there. Once you at least, he's like, once you at least make the trip. So yeah, because again, even if he's not one hundred percent, him just being out there, yes. is useful. Yes, it prevent it, it. It presents the defense a threat, something they have to pay attention to. And you know, I mean, again, he may not want he may not want to do that. He may be, I'm not here to be a decoy when I've got money on the line. But you know, again, that's something that is is you know, that's just that's a part of you know the role that you're playing so i don't know i mean in terms of the whole injury thing i don't like i don't like any team telling a guy get out there go out, <laughs> go out, go out, go out there i don't care how hurt you are right. um so that that automatically 
puts me on AB side of that of that conversation if that's right. what happened. Um, but in terms of, but he doesn't help himself when he goes on the full sim podcast, and you know, and he, yeah. he's talking. To these, uh, I'll be respectful. But he's talking to these guys who are <laughs> who are just. I was gonna call something else, but he's talking to these guys who are, who are just like, yeah, of course you're the best receiver on the team. <laughs> you know, it's like. I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense. But um, I respect you for being respectful, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'll call him the impractical podcast. joker. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it was, yeah, I'll let you go. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, here's what I'll say. Number one, and most maybe most important, I have zero sympathy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting the full Antonio Brown experience. I have no sympathy for Tom Brady. I know, definitely got no sympathy for Bruce Arians and none of that, no one in that organization. Because we all know what AB's past transgressions were and the allegations and things like that. But we can even go beyond that. This dude put his whole team at risk by telling people he was vaccinated when he wasn't. Skipping a lot of the NFL protocols meant to try to keep players safe and staff, not just players. Because we always talk about players, 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 players. There's also older staff, staff that may be at risk, people like that. That he's around, and and the, he was able to skirt those measures to keep them safe by telling people he was unvaccinated by actually getting a a, a, a fraudulent vaccination card, and was suspended for it. And they, and Bruce Arians, he said that we signed AB that he was laying down the law that one strike and he's out of here. And man, that was one hell of a strike. I mean, that was like that was you know Michael Grimm Ford or swinging and missing and throwing the ball, throwing the bat into the third row in City Field, kind of a strike. It was it was just egregious what AB did, and when he was asked about why are you bringing him back when you said he was a one and done situation, he was like, "I don't give a ish what people got to say about what I do." The arrogance of Bruce Arians, and the way he kind of skirted the Antonio Brown situation as AB got there, and skirted any kind of accountability, he lo- I lost a lot of respect for Bruce Arians during this whole ordeal since AB got there, because he was a guy that. A lot of people looked at the NFL as someone with very high character. And he, he, to me, he's shown very little, and he's dealing with A.B. Now, A.B. will do that to people. He's a tough person to deal with. But, nonetheless, it is what it is. So, I have no sympathy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and the stuff that A.B.'s putting them through. When it comes to the injury thing, the one thing about the situation is, as you said, on surface value, face value, AB says he can't play because he's injured. You just you just got to respect it. I don't know. Like, you could say I don't understand why. He was medically cleared, which they said in their statement. He went through the, you know, the, the pregame workouts. And he, he whatever. In, in the game, for whatever reason, if he says he can't go, he can't go. You know, it, we we can't play that game of, oh, we put him out there and and whatever. If that's if Whatever reason, that's fine. Now, I think where where I kind of hold in terms of like saying okay I'm full team AB on this injury part of it is I I I find it highly unlikely that AB was very clear to Bruce Arians in that moment in time exactly the severity of his injury and exactly what was going on now Bruce Arians clearly knew he came in banged up but you know I, I think like you know if they're saying oh he was having issues in terms of getting targeted and stuff I'm sure he probably was like I'm not going in. And he just, you know, oh, I don't want to go with my ankle. You know, and Bruce Arians at that time didn't handle it well and, and, and probably flipped out. But 
because of he's because he's AB. But I don't necessarily. I'm not. AB is not an honest person. <laughs> so so people that are just say I'm just gonna take AB at his word. I think are really kind of questionable to me. And I, I don't really understand why you would do that. I'm never putting all my eggs in the AB basket. Let me make that very clear. Yes. But so to, to me, I, I, I do believe he was hurt. I do believe he was banged up. I think that for him, he's like, I'm not going to waste my time on this bad ankle if I'm not getting targets. That's what I think happened. And is that right? Is that fair? I don't know. It's the game. I feel like in the NFL, that kind of thing happens way more than you would think. And... Arians probably was like, I'm not playing around with a guy that I've put my neck out for. And he was like, just get out of here. And I don't think it was right. I don't think that Bruce Arians should have lied in the media when he said, I didn't know about an injury. That wasn't true. And we knew that wasn't true. That was He missed like freaking nine weeks, uh, three weeks for surgery for the suspension. But he missed like six weeks with his ankle. We know he has an ankle problem. So I don't know why he's going on there lying about, I don't know, I didn't know he was injured. Like, I mean, that's nonsense. But... The the communication I don't think was is as clear as AB's trying to make it out to be. Right. And and then on the on the A B side of it, and this is something I just want to say real quick. This is a man who's clearly not well. That's a that's definitely an element to anything involving him. So there are a couple of things I think we gotta say though to kind of to, to put that into proper context. I there's two things. Number one I don't really love these people, whether it be, you know, the podcast he went on. Shout out to them. I, you know, they had him on fine. Or other outlets that are trying to get him on. I think he was on Clubhouse as well at one point. This is a man who's clearly not well. And he's kind of, the last thing this guy needs is a camera and microphones. I understand we need to get his side of the story. And he put out a statement. We saw his side of the story. Anything else beyond that to me with him is clearly performative and clearly detrimental to everybody. You know, I don't really care much about the Buccaneers, but I do care about himself and the image of black athletes. And I'm starting to feel like this is becoming a little bit exploitative with the people that he's just willing to just do interviews with and and ride around in Ubers with and post on Instagram with. Of course. Like, like, People need to understand this is a man who's not well, and you're not being helpful at all trying to ch- clout chase off of his mental illness. That's not cool. It's corny, and we need to stop. This a part two to this, too, that's been bothersome about the AB coverage, about his mental health issue. You know, because he clearly has one. I mean, he's saying things. I don't even want to quote some of the stuff he was saying on that podcast. Some of it was really grotesque but what but it goes back to my point of there's something else beyond just mental illness mental illness doesn't make you a narcissist mental illness doesn't make you um a bad person doesn't make you a uh, a a you know a jerk and what i saw what i'm continuing to see and i'm gonna keep it 100 because i always keep it 100 on this pod I'm seeing it a lot from black media members who are trying to kind of just brush aside any real criticism or accountability for this man who's saying he's mentally ill. He's mentally ill. We don't know what's going on. He's mentally ill. But the problem is 
these same folks have been, again, going to get him for quotes, putting them on TV. The same folks that have been defending him through a lot of this stuff. And that's just been media members. It's also been fellow athletes, too. Fellow, some of his fellow NBA, NFL players. I've seen NBA players, you know, posting support for him. And that, to me, is, is, is also kind of sad to see, too. Because by doing that, we're just giving him no accountability for any of his actions. His actions are detrimental to a lot of people. His actions are hurtful. They're not just, oh, he's just a guy, you know. We saw this man, you know, threatening his wife or, or whatever his situation. No, I don't know his, you know, romance situation with his the mother of his kids. We already know, again, the very serious allegations he went through. This isn't play-play stuff. This isn't time for, oh, we're going to play the game where we got to defend him because I don't want to tear, you know, a black man down. This isn't, this This dude is not that. There's plenty of time for that, and I'm always, I'm all for that. The stuff I've seen with the people defending AB or trying to play kid gloves with someone who's clearly just not a great person and also has issues. I, I just, I just... It's been a little disturbing, and I've seen this for a long time. I talked about this on this podcast like four or five years ago. I talked about this when he was in Pittsburgh. And I'm like, I'm seeing too many people like just like pom-poming for just buffoonery from this guy. And and that was when he was doing it to a black coach. So, I, I, again, it goes back to that kind of that, that, that corny – stand behavior that I'm seeing permeate sports. I think some of that is part of this where these guys are great athletes, but they're not God. They're not, you know, large. They're not larger than life. Treat them as humans. And it goes both ways. It treats them as humans and, and humanize them. Don't disrespect them. Like, again, like we talked about with Julius Randle, but also mean treat them as humans. They're not above criticism. They're not above reproach. They're not above, um, uh, uh being checked. And I think that would a b some a lot anytime people keep talking about his mental health without any other context of his other of his issues that are his fault, it's only emboldening him. It's only uh, uh, uh helping him continue the buffoonery. This man went up there and said, "I don't know why I was on a prove it deal and Gronkowski wasn't. Are we serious right now? You don't know why you're on a prove it deal and Gronkowski isn't." Do we even have to have that conversation? But if yeah. we do, all I yeah, heard was yeah. every time someone would talk about his at. issues uh, on on a game, if people say, like, "Why are they talking about him like he's a redemption story?" All I heard was stop hating. Yeah, that, that's what I want to talk about. Like, like, what are we talking about here? I think the the thing that I didn't one of the things that I didn't like the most about uh, from Antonio Brown, like I said, I, I'm pretty much on his side when it comes to. You know, the whole situation of him leaving the field. You know, I, I would not have done it that way. I think there's a million different ways you could have done it that did not have to go go about it that way. That, yeah, it didn't involve taking off your shirt. And yeah, 99%. 99.9%. That, that exact scenario has pretty much happened before yeah, me. all the time. It, it, yeah. It results in a weekly, you know, transaction. That, you mm-hmm. know, like it doesn't result in a guy in a, in a mid-game transaction. But still... What I didn't like with Antonio Brown was taking the unnecessary pot shots at Tom Brady. Uh, Brady, Tom Brady will be fine. He'll survive. You know, Antonio Brown, you know, 
saying he's a snake or saying this and that about him. Tom, Antonio Brown, again, this guy is off. He's like, uh, Tom Brady's only my friend because I'm good at football. I'm like, why else would Tom Brady be your friend? Right. I mean, again, what are we really talking? What are we really talking about here? This is Antonio Brown. Why else would he be your friend? For the most part, he's only friends with Gronk because they because Gronk's good at football. I mean, you know, like I don't know really what he's talking about. I mean, would Antonio Brown be on the Bucks if he wasn't good at football? No, I mean, but, but Tom Brady just wanted to make him. It, cl- it doesn't make it clear, Kendall. When I say what, why, why else would he be his friend? Antonio Brown is again. He shows narcissistic behavior. He has very disturbing allegations against him. There's very little about his character that would make you be his that would make you think highly of him at this right. point in his life and so when he says Brady's only my friend because of football I'm like yeah <laughs> that should be the only reason why he's your friend because there's not and, much and, else I can and, point and to and let's be honest like he's like when like Tom Brady brought him out of you know what was a seem, seemingly a dark place post Oakland and then post New England and helped get him to Tampa Bay. And AB doesn't win a Super Bowl without Tom Brady. I could make the case Tom Brady may win the Super Bowl without AB, but yeah. that's a whole nother conversation. But still, like he brought him out because he's a good football player. He wanted he he thought there is untapped potential that people don't want to take a chance on because of all the other stuff that you mentioned when this guy is a, a damn good football player and yeah, Brady and, and was my right. leader and my leadership and my influence I can keep him in check. Right. And he was and, right for a year. He he was able to do it Yeah, for, for a, a year he year, was whatever, right. However long he played for them. Yeah. So I mean, Antonio Brown, he's upset that after that one year he didn't get a contract. Nobody said you had to go back to Tampa Bay. Of course. Right. Nobody said you had to sign the prove it deal. You could have been like Nah, at this point, I deserve more. You probably could have gotten more from someplace else, if we're being honest. If you would have went to the open market, maybe not. But like, sometimes you have you. Have, that's the reality of sports: is that your your value is only as high as what people are willing to give you. And, and you feel like he doesn't. He again, he doesn't understand why he's on a prove it deal. It's like, again, are you are you serious? Do you don't know why you're on a prove it deal? Like. Again, like, what are we talking about here? Again, this is yeah. someone that's clearly not in their right mind. So when we talk about him, again, maybe not the best thing is to throw a camera and a microphone in his face and let him act a fool. Because that's what he that's what he's done since he Yeah, left. and I mean, look, I know Antonio Brown's lawyer who was, you know, he was tweeting the other day and, you know, trying to say this has nothing to do with mental illness and it's all to do with physical injury and this and that. And, you know, I, I think... What, this man what? said he heard. This man said he heard sixty thousand chanting his name as he was throwing his jersey off and throwing his gloves into the stands. I didn't he said, I wasn't at the arena, but I didn't hear that. Uh, that was, I mean, this this man. I, I, I thought I, you know, Randy Orton. Randy Orton tweeted, "AB must hear voices too." As a joke, you know, Randy Orton, the wrestler in WWE, yeah, that's yeah. like his gimmick that he hears voices. I thought it was a little harsh because you know AB kind of has mental issues. I, I thought it was maybe tasteless, but then I saw that I'm like, oh my god, he's saying he heard people. Chanting his name. That definitely didn't happen. Yeah. Like, what's he talking about? Look, I mean, I think the jokes, to a degree, are still, I, you know, and again, this is, this, I, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think people should be bullied in general, but like. Of course not. Right now, the jokes are free game or fair game until 
AB can acknowledge. Well, it goes back to again people the around him of, acknowledge that he has a, he has a, something something's up. Or, and also, and, out what's going on. and also, there's an accountability that he doesn't for his behavior that he doesn't accept. That his that again, a lot of people just seem to feel okay with skirting for whatever reason. They're just like, ah, right, well, you know, he's AB, whatever. And they think it's funny, they think it's cute. And, and let's be honest. This stuff ain't cute. He's still, he's able to get by with this because he's still a good football player. Of course. When it, that when that was really in question after the whole Oakland debacle, we were like, how good even is this guy at this point? And in New England, he looked shaky, and he, they just they cut bait with him. That was still a question. Is, can this guy, does this guy even help teams at this point in his career? We haven't seen him play, and he's, he's off his rocker at this point. Like, it, we were having those serious conversations about what is his mental, what is his deal with his mental uh, fitness right now? Uh, what is going on with Antonio Brown? Um, and there were serious questions about whether or not he'd play again. And right now, we know for we know for the most part, we'll see what happens post his ankle injury. But we know for the most part, when he's on the field, he can still produce. So right now, people don't really care, and I think that that's an unfortunate reality that, honestly, is something that's been dealt with in football for ages, you know. But this idea that how no matter how good you are, if you, if you can play, we'll deal with all the other stuff. I mean, the idea that, you know, all of the issues that Antonio Brown has had over his career and, um, you know, him running off the field – you know, him him doing something off the field was going to be more likely in his career than any of the stuff that's happened off the field is unfortunate uh, in general. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Antonio Brown is is a is an interesting character. Uh, we'll have a better idea. Um, obviously, this offseason, what his market's going to look like, but someone will sign him. I, I'm very confident in that, assuming he's healthy. Um yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I'm I'm torn. I, I I lean towards probably, but my thing is, I say like this thing he could do something like he's so unpredictable that this thing could get worse. One hundred percent. You know, because yeah. he's not. Yeah, I don't think he's done himself. I think you know. I, I thought the initial statement was was good actually for him. Yes. I, I, since then, since that initial statement came out through his lawyer, I don't think he's done himself much favors. Yeah. You know, he's tweeting. You know that the. Tom Brady's, you know, you know, his guy, his guru, Alex, you know, Guerrero, uh, owes him money, owes him money, and in Texas, Alex Guerrero being like, "Oh yeah, sure, buddy, sorry about that, man. You're a great guy. I really wish we could have worked together. I'm, tell me where to wire you the money." And I'm just like, "This seems like great customer service. This is this doesn't sound like some guy that's, some, some that's trying to or sniff you or anything. He doesn't sound yeah. like you when you didn't want to pay your your chef, and that's yeah. why we knew about this whole anti this event this." Uh, this fake vax card situation where this guy seems like he's doing the right thing you know maybe didn't say he didn't owe him the money he just said this guy didn't didn't work him out which i mean okay but he's giving your money back so no harm no foul it seems to me and then again he's saying you know tom brady isn't my friend because of football he's only my friend because of football i'm like seems legit i i don't see i, I see nothing wrong here your officer i don't know what to say like I, I I mean these are the things he's saying that are supposed to make I, I, I think what I think what he's upset about is in general like I think he's upset that there is this perception that Brady is some miracle worker or some charity worker that 
you know, took on a took on a sad case in Antonio Brown and tried to do his best to to help him out as a friend. And you know, I think he. I think again. But, I think Tom Brady. Almost, but he almost strikes me the kind of guy, kind of that like AB is like the last guy in the room to know that. Like we all knew that. Right. We all knew he got him because he he's a good football player. Right. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> like, that narrative no, was like, not really. A, yeah. Like Tom Brady bring him into his house and stuff. Yeah. We he did that for AB. He didn't do that for the image of him. He, why yeah. would he care? Yeah. Like AB is the last guy. Again, he's not well. He's the last guy to, to realize, oh, this guy, he only likes me for the football. I'm like, yeah, we all know that. <laughs> like, what, like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, he got, he got Gronk a great deal, and how come I didn't great, get a great deal? I'm like, why are you the last person to, to, to know these very obvious things about your life? Like, like, that to me, again, speaks to a level of this, again, he needs help, but also he needs to be held more accountable for his situation. Nobody asked him to sign that contract. Nobody asked him to live in Tom Brady's basement. Nobody asked him to do any of that stuff. He did it all for himself because it did also serve him. And now it doesn't serve him because he threw a fit. And now he's having an issue with it. He could have played on a much better contract where he wouldn't feel how he had to play on a bad ankle. But he did things prior to signing with the with the Bucks that made the situation. Remember, he turned down thirty guaranteed million dollars from the Oakland Raiders. Yep. The Raiders and the Steelers had Record money for him. Waiting. All he had to do was just literally show up to work, and he didn't do it. And now yeah. he's asking. Now he's asking how come I don't got more money? Like, come on, fam. Like, again, this is like, again, that's why I don't know why people take him seriously. Why are we even interviewing him? Like, like he he don't need. We don't need again. He don't need a microphone. He's saying things that don't make no sense. And again, we get to a certain point, we keep talking to him and asking him about this stuff. It becomes exploitative, and I'm not really down with it. Let's wrap the show, Kendall, talking about. The National Championship game. It had to be them, right? It had to be them. It had to be Georgia and Alabama Monday in Lucas Oil Field, Fieldhouse, uh, for the College Football National Championship. That's where we thought we may probably be early in the season. That's where we are today. The matchup is a rematch of the SEC Championship game where Alabama overcame an early 10-0 deficit to roll the Bulldogs in Atlanta. But Georgia is coming off a dominant win over Michigan in the Orange Bowl and is motivated to snap their seven-game losing streak against the Crimson Tide. Last week, number one Alabama had easily defeated Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. Okay, Kendall, quickly, because we're running out of time here. Biggest keys to the game and who you have winning it all? Uh, biggest keys to the game? Um, I, so it's interesting. I mean, I think the biggest key on the field is going to be uh, which team is able to control control time of possession? Because um, I think that this is going to be a game that um, I don't think there's going to be a lot of quick strikes. Uh, you know, I know that that probably favors Georgia. I know Alabama is the team that's generally going to be more likely to score quick, although Georgia's, you know, with Brock Bowers and uh, you know James Cook has had had some big plays, so they they can make big plays, but. Uh-huh. Uh, that's obviously, you know, Bryce William, Bryce Jones, Bryce Young, and, and Jameson Williams' uh, department more so. So I think uh, controlling time of possession is going to be important for both teams. Um, but uh, the one thing that I think is interesting about this matchup that I think is being underlooked is obviously these teams matched up in the SEC championship game and a couple weeks ago, or uh, about a month ago at this point, uh, and Alabama uh, obviously destroyed. 
uh, Georgia. Made Stetson Bennett look like, uh, you know, a, a walk-on, you know, undersized, uh, non-NFL prospect quarterback that most people have thought he is. Um, but what what's, what I think is interesting about this matchup is that in that game, Georgia did not have anything but pride to play for. Uh, I think if you ask Kirby Smart, what was your goal going into the season – was to win the SEC, I think he'd say, uh, you would, I mean, if, if he's being honest, I think he would say SEC is not as nearly as important as winning the national championship. Right. Um, with the kind of, you know, the kind of roster he had, definitely. Yeah, exactly. The goal was to, was to hold the, to hold the, the, the trophy at the end. Um, mm-hmm. what used to be the <laughs> silver ball. It's not silver ball anymore. Now it's like a it's sad though, too. It's, it's like a trophy. gold weird kind of trophy thing. Um, but still, um, the goal is to, is to is to hoist that trophy at the end of the season, and when you're in that situation where you're playing a team that you feel like we may see these guys again. Now, granted, it wasn't like granted had they beaten Alabama, you could argue they weren't going to see them again because Alabama may have been eliminated. There was some some conversation of you know their chance Bama could get in even with a close loss and right you know that. We were well, that's a what if that we'll never really know. But if you're Georgia, it may behoove you to not show all your stuff. Because even if you show all your stuff, maybe you lose the game. And now in a rematch, you've you've they know your entire game. Um yeah. it was interesting too, because I you know, I've actually listened to a lot of Kirby Smart's press conferences since you know, that game, especially this week. In, or this past week, and he said that, you know, one of the advantages or things just kind of, he didn't say to call it an advantage because he's smarter than that, but, like, one of the things that that's interesting about kind of a, a recent rematch is, you know, like, the tape that we're working on for Alabama was, you know, tape from earlier in the season and last season when we played them, like, you know, now we got tape from, you know, this season, you know, so yeah. we got we to gotta combine that tape and then the tape of their game against Cincinnati and then also our tape against Michigan, so it gives you a little bit more than you had, you know, the first time you played them. Right. So, you know, Alabama put on a hell of a show last time they played Alabama, played Georgia and Alabama, you know, they, you know, they, they played, they put all their cards out there. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting it, it, comment it, it, from, from Kirby Smart. So, yeah, like you said, 100% they put all their cards out there. Kirby Smart's a great coach. Yeah, so, I yeah, exactly. You would know we got to be smart about how we play this. Um, yes, we want to win this game. Yes, I, I think they were trying to win that game with everything they had, but from a coaching standpoint, I think they also coached it a certain yeah, they, way. They didn't, they didn't empty the barrel. They didn't. There's no. Why would you? It didn't make right. any sense. You know, because not only did you not do you not empty the barrel for Alabama, you also empty the barrel in case for Michigan. You don't yeah. empty the barrel for Cincinnati, you know Cincinnati. Got to play them. Yeah. Yeah, or Notre Dame or Oklahoma State, whatever team it would have been. So. It didn't make it wouldn't make sense for them to have done that. So, yes, I, I think that there's another layer to this Georgia team that we may not that we didn't see in that game, mm-hmm. which scares me. Uh, I want Alabama to win. I like Bryce Young. Um, you know, I, I selfishly I always feel like I, I never like seeing the new team win uh, if it's not my team. So I'm like. I'd rather the status quo. Just keep the status quo. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see Georgia win. Like, they haven't won since I've been alive. So, why would I want to see that happen now? If it's not Pitt, 
<laughs> I'd rather it be uh I'd rather it be uh Alabama. So I you know somehow the Kendall, end, somehow even when Pitt has nothing to do with it, somehow Kendall spends it to Pitt. And I'm man, the one that gets talked about how I spent it. They had a twelve team playoff. You guys heard that folks. I didn't say anything about Miami. If we had if game. we had a twelve team playoff going at it, you know, yeah, we would have would have lost in the first round. Because y'all we, lost to whoever y'all lost to, who you Michigan We would have been in the dance. Chick fil A game. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, no. I to answer your question though, I've got Alabama. But I would not be shocked if Georgia just destroyed Alabama in this game. I think Alabama wins just because they have the best player in the in the in the country and they have the best player in the game. I think it's gonna be very close. I don't think it'll be a shootout, but I think this could come down to the team that has the ball last wins the game. You know, Georgia's an interesting case study as a college football team in history to me because for a team that's so dominant, they have still a very they have a very small margin for error if you if you catch me, Kendall. Like at least at least at least against the elite teams to me. Or at least against Alabama. They have a small margin for error. Because I I, I mean I don't really think they're going to play much better offensively than they did against Alabama two, three weeks ago. They're just not that. Like that's not how they play. They're not a big play, explosive offense kind of team. You know, they no. they could steamroll you just because they're bigger and stronger, and 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 you know they can make plays. And, and you know, I think that you know they showed us a little something in that Michigan game. I will give them some credit. You know, early on they were hitting some big plays, and it was probably the most explosive performance we saw from Georgia offensively maybe all season in that first half you know considering the level of competition that they played right but when it comes down to it i mean this is a punch you in the face slugfest kind of defense that's gonna really be the end all be all for this team now the defense is unreal so they could beat almost anybody and beat them to a pulp with that defense so it doesn't really matter what the offense does as long as they don't you know you know they don't just fall apart but I think to be Alabama, you need an offense that's better than just not fall apart. Because Alabama has too many explosive playmakers. Alabama, it's just they're just going to hit you on some big plays. I just think the idea that you're going to play four quarters and Alabama's not going to hit you with like three or four big plays is just not going to happen. You know, I, I guess it happened once against A&M. But, I, you know, A&M always seems to play them kind of tough. And I think that was an anomaly. Alabama is a very good offensive team. So I don't care how good your defense is, you're gonna have to make plays offensively to beat them. And I just don't know if if Stetson Bennett has enough weapons. I don't know if he he's gonna be able to be protected well enough to make those plays to to keep up with the Heisman Trophy winner and the studs that Alabama had, Jamison Williams, um, you know, Latu, the the tight end. I mean, they they're just loaded. Yeah. So. I think Alabama wins, and I don't think that is. I'll be honest. I don't think it's much different than the last game. A lot of people are, you know, Georgia's the favorite in this game. I'm actually a little surprised that people have really been, still not really de- deterred by what we saw a couple of weeks ago. But I think the recentness of the, the recentness of the rematch actually makes me more likely to say like Alabama's going to just roll them again. I feel like you can learn a little bit more when it's a, more games in between both teams. Uh, in terms of like you know what Georgia could learn from their loss, I think when it's like one game, now it's, it's an important game. You know, you saw, you know, you got to see them in the playoff game, and then of course you got tape on them from just a couple weeks ago. But I kind of, to me, it looked like Georgia has some coverage buses. Like they have some things they'll clean up. I think they'll play a little better defensively, but I don't, I don't think they're gonna play better offensively. I think what you saw from them is what you saw. So they scored about twenty four points. 
I would be surprised if they scored more than that. I'd, be surprised, I'd definitely be surprised if they scored more than 30. And I think it's going to take at least 24 to beat Alabama. I think if they if they have a great defensive performance against Alabama, I think that they'll win like a 24-20 kind of game. But I don't I don't see them just shutting them out. Alabama doesn't seem to have the kind of offense. And, and not in these big games. It seems like when Alabama struggles, it seems to me, it seems to happen in games where they're kind of sleepwalking, where they're kind of not taking it as seriously as they should. Uh, right. You know, when, when as Nick Saban said, you know, they're listening too much to the, they're eating too much of the rat poison. You know, yeah, when exactly. When we're in those kind of games, that's when you can catch Alabama sleeping and they get them their offense kind of in a weird spot. You got them in the national championship game. Everybody's watching. Everybody's tuned into the game plan. Everybody's focused. You're not going to beat them in a game like that. And not, I also don't not, think. Not, 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 not in terms of them playing a, a piss poor kind of game. You know, you could get them maybe in a game where, where they play great and, you, you know, Clemson beat them in some games where they play great. But, you know, I don't think that they have that Clemson kind of ceiling offensively no. that we've seen. That's, that's 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 necessary to be a team of Alabama. So I have, I have Alabama winning like a, a you know a thirty four twenty kind of game, you know maybe close at halftime, but I think they pull away in the second half. I don't think that there's gonna be, I don't think it's gonna be nearly as easy to to take Will Anderson out of the game as it was to take Aiden Hutchinson out of the game for Georgia as well, and that's gonna be, uh, that's gonna be the 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 primary issue I think for them offensively is. Um, they're gonna have to run the ball consistently because good luck, good luck getting much much of anything done in the passing game. You know, with Will Anderson breathing down, that's yeah, and in that secondary too. You know, yes, you got Will Anderson breathing down your neck, and then you got a, a hell of a secondary back there. Um, that's that's just, I mean, I I I just I think it's, this yeah. is a bad. That's why I started this by saying that you know this is a they're a weird case study to me because I think that I I think that Georgia is a great team. That just has a really bad matchup against Alabama. Yeah. Like in most other years, they would probably be national champion, but the game it will take for them to win a national championship this year, I don't know if they're capable of playing. Because that's the thing. If I'm, I'm pretty confident that Georgia didn't play their best game, didn't hold, didn't use all their best stuff in that first matchup. But sometimes that doesn't matter. Sometimes right. that only makes up the difference of, you know, seven points. But, you know, or 14 points. But that that doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden now you're going to be better than this team. It, it the, I mean, the big difference, obviously, is going to be the fact that John Mechie is not there anymore. And will Alabama's offense be as That's the biggest, that's the potent, biggest thing is. is you know, yeah. without, you know, with, with, with only one true dynamic receiver out there. Um, now they've got multiple tight ends and another receiver in Jacory Brooks that's Jacoby Brooks that's that's starting to come on but um and the running game's been pretty pedestrian for Alabama that's not a normal not a normal situation for Alabama so that's going to be the thing is how do they how do they muster up offense against this elite elite defense they didn't have trouble against it doing it in the SEC championship game by the time Mechie got hurt there was already too much momentum in Alabama's favor uh Will that carry on to Monday? I, also, the other thing, real quick, mm-hmm. I trust Nick Saban in this matchup more than I trust Kirby Smart. Um, he's been there. Not to say Kirby Smart hasn't been there because he's been there a million times as well uh, as a yeah, head coach, but also as a coordinator, right. um, more specifically. But still, I mean, we saw it with with we've seen it with Ryan Day in the past. 
Um, sometimes these coaches that no matter how good of an X's and O's guy you are, no matter how good of a rah-rah guy you can be, and we know Kobe Smart's great at both of those things, um, the game management piece of it when you're not when, when you're not used to that environment can be overwhelming. Now, this isn't his first time. This isn't his first rodeo now. So we'll see if he's gotten more uh, – we'll see, we'll, see, we'll see if he's gotten more used to that because, I mean, they blew a national championship game uh, against Alabama. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know. Yeah, them having lead on Alabama and blowing it is, is very common at this point. Yeah, it's not, not a new – That's, not that's a kind current. of been the story of this rivalry recently. That's what we call it. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, I'll go Alabama. Uh, I'll say Alabama – I'll say Alabama 31, uh, Georgia 27. Okay. So, there you go. I have 34-20 years, 31-27 Alabama. Both of us saying roll tide here. Um, but that's going to do it for this edition of New Generation Sports Talk, of course – you enjoy this podcast, make sure you check out all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. Also, be able to follow us individually on social media. Kennel's on Twitter, New Gen Ken. You can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys so much again for checking us out. Happy New Year to those who are joining us for the first time on Sports Talk in the 2022 New Year. Plenty of great podcasts coming out this year, podcast episodes coming out this year. So make sure you keep it locked in on your favorite channel, uh, your favorite podcast in the generation, Podcast Network. That'll do it for now. We'll check you guys soon. Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace. <laughs>